Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Take your Bibles, turn over to Luke's Gospel, Chapter 1, our Christmas message this year. We're going to be looking at Zechariah's prophecy, sometimes called the Benedictus. Who was Zechariah, you might ask? Zechariah was a priest. In Luke 1, chapter 5, we read, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he, was, he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And also we read in verse 6, They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. So first of all, he was a priest. Secondly, he was the father of John the Baptist. Elizabeth and Zacharias had no children. They had prayed for many years that God would give them a child, but now they had passed the age of having children. And Zacharias was performing his priestly duties in the holy place, uh, offering this incense. And Gabriel came to him and told him that his prayers had been heard and answered and that he and Elizabeth would have a son. And he would call this son John, and he would be one who would prepare the way for the coming Messiah. Now, Zacharias had a hard time believing this because they were both advanced in years and it would take a miracle. And so he asked the angel, how can I know this is really going to happen? And the angel said, because you didn't believe, you will not be able to speak. You will be mute from now until the time that the child is born. And then... When the child was born, he immediately begins to speak. And what he speaks about is the great salvation that God has accomplished through the coming Messiah. Now think about that. You hadn't had a child. You've prayed years and years and years for a child. You've given up that you'd ever have a child. And then God miraculously gives you a child. And when that child is born, you would think you're going to speak about that child, wouldn't you? That would be what would be on your heart. But instead, he talks about Jesus and his coming. In fact, in this prophecy, he only mentions John in one verse, and that is in reference to one who will prepare the way for the Messiah. Now look in verse 67 of Luke 1, and it says, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now the first thing we need to note is that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. These are not simply the words of a man, but they are the words of a man that is empowered and filled with the Spirit of God. And therefore there will be insights into these words that a man would not have on his own. Secondly, it says he prophesied. Now when we think of prophecy, we think of foretelling events that are going to happen in the future. But that's only a small part of prophecy in the Bible. 
The main part of prophecy is the foretelling of God's truth. Now, this prophecy has both. There is a foretelling of God's truth, and then he will also be foretelling about what Jesus will accomplish and what he will do. Now, the theme of this prophecy is this. The great salvation God has accomplished through Jesus. The great salvation that God has accomplished for his people through the Lord Jesus. Before Jesus is even born, God is given witness and testimony to the great salvation that he'll bring. The Christmas story is about Jesus being born so he can accomplish salvation for his people. Now there are seven great truths in this prophecy about the great salvation God has accomplished for his people. And we're going to look at those this morning. And I want you to stand in respect for the word of God. As I read Zechariah's prophecy, see if you can see these seven great truths. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, and you will go on before the Lord to prepare his way, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. You may be seated. Seven great truths about God's great salvation. Number one, this great salvation is for His people. Verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Not for everyone in the world. Not everyone in the world enjoys the salvation that God has accomplished in Jesus Christ. But for his people. Now, I believe his people refers to the elect or the chosen of God whom he chose before the foundation of the world. Remember what the angel told Joseph in the dream in Matthew 1.21? She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I don't think he's talking about Israel, because not all of Israel has enjoyed the salvation that God has accomplished. Well, that brings up the question, who are... me anyway, right? All right, I thought you could. 
Never been accused of being soft-spoken. All right. It is salvation for his people, John 10, Jesus says, but you do not believe, talking to the scribes and Pharisees, why? Because you're not my sheep. My sheep are his people. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. Christmas is about God accomplishing salvation for his people, for Jesus' sheep, for those that the Father has given him, his chosen, from the foundation of the world. Second great truth, this great salvation is accomplished by Jesus, verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Now, lest someone think that Zacharias is talking about his own son, John the Baptist, John the Baptist was not from the house of David. Zacharias was a Levite. The priests were from Levi, the tribe of Levi. And so if he'd been talking about John the Baptist, he wouldn't have said from the house of David. He would have said from the house of Aaron or the house of Levi. So he's talking about the Lord Jesus. Now he mentions the horn of salvation. The horn in the biblical days expressed power, strength. You know the matadors in Spain and that bull's horn catches them in the wrong way, buddy, and they're done. They're done with the running of the bulls, they're done with. And so it speaks of power, and in particular, destructive power. Jesus, in accomplishing our salvation, is going to destroy someone or something. So he's talking about Jesus, and he's talking about the covenant that God made with David, that one of his descendants would be on the throne and be on the throne forever. Now the Jews knew that the Messiah would come from David. And so when Zacharias gives this prophecy and he speaks of the one who will accomplish the power of salvation as coming from the house of David, they recognized he was speaking of the Messiah. Third truth, it was foretold by the Old Testament prophets in verse 70. And he spoke as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. God promised many times in the Old Testament that he would send a deliverer to save his people. When something is really important to us, we talk about it. I remember when Terry and I were dating, I would say, I'm going to marry you someday, because that was that important to me. Well, when salvation, the most important event, of all of human history, to our Lord, he speaks about it ahead of time. Many times in the Old Testament, he talks about sending a Messiah, a Savior. For instance, Moses spoke about it in Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. Isaiah spoke about it. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince 
of peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish it. Over and over again, God foretold to his people that he was going to send a Savior to accomplish salvation for them. Daniel, in Daniel 7, And to him was given a dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And so in this prophecy by Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, we see that God is going to accomplish salvation for his people. He's going to accomplish it through the Lord Jesus, and he told them ahead of time he was going to do it. Now the fourth truth, it is a salvation from sin and Satan. Verse 71. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And then look in verse 74. To grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies. Now the people in Zechariah's day were mainly looking for a political deliverer, a political savior, one who would come and overthrow the Roman armies and the Roman control. But... Jesus came to accomplish a salvation that is spiritual, not political. A salvation that is from sin and Satan. Our primary enemy in life is sin and Satan, not the government. No matter what country might rule you, no matter where you might be in the deepest, darkest dungeons, imprisoned, you are not facing your greatest enemy in flesh and blood. But your greatest enemy is sin and Satan. You can be locked away in the maximum security of the worst prison in the world and still be a free person in Jesus. So you see, the greatest enemy we face is not flesh and blood. We are born slaves to sin and Satan. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. The salvation that we really need is the salvation not from a political force, but from the spiritual forces of sin and Satan. And Jesus came on that Christmas morning so that he could accomplish this salvation from our enemies. He accomplished our salvation from Satan by giving his life but he had to be a man to do so. Hebrews 2.14 makes it clear. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, humanity, he himself likewise 
also partook of the same. Jesus became man. Why? So that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Render powerless. That Greek means without power. Devoid of power. Jesus was born so that he might die and through death deliver us from that enemy, Satan. But not only deliver us from Satan, but from indwelling sin, as we see in Romans 6. Knowing this, that our old self, the old sin man, was crucified with him. Why? What was the purpose of that crucifixion? In order that our body of sin might be done away with. Again, same word, rendered powerless, robbed of its power. Why? Why is it important that this old indwelling sin be robbed of its power? What does he say? So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Our great God has accomplished salvation for His people. He foretold it in the prophets. He accomplished it through Jesus Christ, and He gave us salvation from Satan and sin. Number five, this great salvation is based on God's mercy and covenant love. Verses 72 and 73. To show mercy toward our fathers, to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to Abraham, our father. And in verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise on high will visit us. Our salvation is based on the mercy of God. What is mercy? Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. Grace is is giving somebody what they don't deserve. Mercy is not giving them what they do deserve. What do you and I deserve? Hell. But God has given us mercy. Mercy in the scriptures is compassion. It even goes beyond compassion, empathy. But it's more than just empathy. It's empathy plus action. It's empathy plus doing something to relieve the person of their misery. Mercy in God's eyes is when God empathizes with our misery and He enters into the experience with us and does something to relieve us of that misery. And that's what He did in the incarnation. He took on humanity, entered into the misery with us. Make no mistake about it, Jesus experienced the misery of being a human. The heartaches, the disappointments, the frustrations, all of that that goes with being human just goes with making life difficult. Jesus experienced this as a human being. He experienced the pain of losing someone he loved, grief. But he entered into that misery so not only that he could empathize with us, but so he could do something to relieve us of this misery. He became that baby in a manger so he could save us from the misery of our bondage to sin and in this life an eternal damnation in the next. Again, Paul speaks of it this way, of God's mercy in Ephesians 2. But God being rich in mercies. 
because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, what did he do? Made us alive together with Christ. For by grace have you been saved. And so our salvation is first of all based on God's mercy. He entered into our misery and did something to relieve it. But it's also based on God's covenant love. His steadfast covenant love. His hesed. We've talked about this before. But notice, he relates it back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. Jesus came... Because of God's promise to Abraham thousands of years earlier. Look at this promise in Genesis 22. And he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand of the which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. Verse 18. In your seed, singular, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. You see that word, in your seed? Paul says he's talking about Jesus. It is through Jesus that all the nations of the earth will be blessed as God's elect in all the nations of the world experience His salvation that He accomplished through Jesus. So it was based on God's covenant love. God made that promise to Abraham. He carried it forth thousands of years later when Jesus came, and He carries it forth when He accomplishes salvation in our lives. Truth number six. This great salvation is about the forgiveness of sins. Verse 76 and 77. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Talking about John the Baptist. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. John's main job was to prepare the way for Jesus by proclaiming salvation for the forgiveness of sins. Salvation by the forgiveness of sins. Notice, it's not salvation by good works. It's not salvation by your heritage as an Israelite. It is salvation by the forgiveness of sins. You see, we're not only saved from our sin and from Satan's power, but we are also saved from the wrath, the holy anger of God over our sins. That's why we need forgiveness. That's why we need the guilt and condemnation to be removed because we stand condemned before a holy God because of our sins. Being rescued from sin slavery And from Satan's domain of darkness is only one aspect of salvation. We still need to be saved from the holy anger of a holy God over our sins. We need our guilt removed. We need the consequences of our sins sent away. We need someone to be punished on our behalf. To take our punishment upon himself. We need forgiveness. 
And this forgiveness was accomplished by Jesus when He became sin for us, when He was punished for us, when He took our place on the cross. As Peter put it in 1 Peter 3, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. You and I, unjust. He was the just. Why did He die? So that He might bring us to God because our sins being covered, our sins being removed, we could now have fellowship with holy God. That He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Christmas is about Jesus taking on flesh so that He could be put to death Take our place that we might have forgiveness of our sins. And then the seventh truth. It is about seeing the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. I I really like these verses, 78 and 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. That sunrise is Jesus. To shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. The sunrise is Jesus, the light of the world. We sit in spiritual darkness. We are blind to spiritual truth. We are in the shadow of death. And Jesus comes and he shines the light of the glory of God. And we see God's glory in the face of Jesus. And we see his beauty. And that beauty and loveliness of Jesus overcomes our resistance to God. And we run to Him because we desire to know Him. We want Him as our Savior and Lord. And He guides us into the way of peace. Look at that. Now peace in the Hebrew mindset was more than absence of conflict. We think of peace as being no war. He didn't just save us so there'd be no war. Peace means well-being. It means wholeness. He's talking about that abundant life that Jesus promises. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He says that I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. A wholeness, a console contentment, a soul satisfaction, a soul peace. That's what Christ brings. When he comes and shows the light of the glory of God in his lovely face. All right, let's review for just a moment. Seven truths about this great salvation. It's for God's people. It is accomplished by Jesus. It was foretold by the Old Testament prophets. It's salvation from sin and Satan. It's based on God's mercy and covenant love. It's a great salvation about forgiveness of sins. And it is about seeing the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That is the what? The great salvation. Now what is the so what? Why are we saved? He tells us in verse 74 and 75. To grant that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might do what? Serve Him without fear. 
in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. We are saved to serve, not to sit. This salvation from sin and Satan, this salvation from the wrath of God, is it so we might glorify God as we serve him as his people? It's a privilege to serve God. Look at what he says. To grant us. That word grant means to give a privilege. To grant us to be rescued from our enemies. Why? That we might serve him. Serve him without fear. Serve him in holiness. It matters how we live. Before him, in his presence, we serve God. He looks at us. He sees us. And what's the duration of it? All of our days. You stop serving God when they put you six feet under. That is, on this earth. You still serve Him in heaven. No such thing as retirement from God's service. Right? You get retreaded. You don't retire. (laughs) Kick in another 100,000. God saved us that we might glorify Him through serving Him. Titus talks about, Paul talks about this in Titus. Titus 2. The great God and Savior... Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Look at the next four words. Zealous for good deeds. We're saved to serve. We celebrate Christmas. We think about the birth of our Lord Jesus. We think about him being born so that he could live a perfect life, so that he could die on the cross and accomplish salvation for us. But we need to think also He saved us that we might glorify Him as we serve Him. Here's the main thought. Christmas is about Jesus and the great salvation He has accomplished for us that we might glorify Him as we serve Him. Why are you saved? Have you come to Jesus? Have you come and called on Him to be your Lord and Savior? If you're saved, are you serving? Are you seeking His glory in your life? Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, This is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, And to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcomed at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. 
If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.